In the name of the Lord of life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I have to say, as the choir was singing the psalm this morning, it seemed more like a weather forecast of recent times rather than the psalm of an ancient day. For we have had, of course, rain and cold and more rain and more cold, and now I've just been informed by one of our horticulturalists of the parish that we're about to have more cold and rain for the next 15 days. So I guess it means that our psalm is right in keeping with where we are in our lives. While preparing for my coming sabbatical and preparing for a pilgrimage that I will be leading to Western Ireland, I reread a book that I asked my pilgrims to read called Celtic Spirituality by Mary Buckley. Now it is a wonderful read and the pilgrims and those traveling with me, it is a read that I ask that they have because you might think, oh no, Celtic Spirituality, what's he gonna do next? But it starts in the beginning with the Irish Celts who settled in, or we should say it starts with the Celts who settled into Ireland, that island nation that's now known as Ireland, and the spirituality, the pagan spirituality that they brought with them. And it continues traversing on through, it's a very, very tiny little book of eight chapters. It's only like 60-something pages. But it continues through the influences of Christianity and how the two combine. It speaks of St. Patrick and his interaction with the pagan Celts And these encounters helped, nonetheless, to shape the unique perspective of God in that land, but also in the land of Scotland. And from those two shores, it was those monks, those monasteries that saved Western world and Western civilization and allowed us to have the culture we have today and the faith we have today. Now, the pagan Celts, worshipped divinities that were of places, rivers, wells, hills, mountains, streams. They saw God in all aspects of life. St. Patrick, when he had been there, he embraced this. Rather than being like some of his brothers and sisters on the continent, he embraced this Celtic idea, adopting their Celtic values and practices into the essential of Christian theology. And in the midst of this time, after he had been there for about a decade, a Celtic princess named Etna Alba posed the question, who is God for you and where is he dwelling? Who is God for you and where is he dwelling? In the seas? In the rivers, in the mountains, in the streams, in the valleys. And Patrick gave a beautifully intertwined response, which captured both the ideal of pagan religion, spirituality, and the ideal of Christian virtue. He wrote, our God, the God of all, the God of heaven and earth, seas and rivers, the God of sun and moon and stars, the God of high mountains and lowly valleys, the God of heaven, in heaven, over heaven, under heaven, 
He has a dwelling in heaven, on earth, and at sea, and in all things therein. He inspires all things. He quickens all things. He is over all things. He beloves all things. Now, I have to say that I love that expression of God in all things, especially with the fact that he's just been asked, who is God for you and where does he dwell? While I was writing this this week, much like our psalm, it was raining, and the rain was falling, and I was sitting at the rectory kitchen, and I began to realize that the earth almost instantaneously was getting greener and more abundant. And I can imagine that Irish landscape to which some of us will go, but the landscape also of 1,600 years ago, doing much the same, just as it would have done for those ancient Celts, creating a magical land where it would be easy to see God in the lush foliage, in the dynamic landscape, and in those that you encounter. Yet, how do we see God, and where is he dwelling now? Jesus speaks of the gift that he will send, the gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift bestowed upon those whom he knew, those chosen few to whom he had revealed himself. And yet, it was calculated. It was masterful because he sent these men not just to be witnesses once and for all with that precious gift to the world of their families and their friends, but to mere strangers and loved ones alike. And through Jesus Christ, we too are those descendants, those witnesses, those apostles, rejoined with him who created us, witnesses to the world, witnesses not so easily convinced at times, and yet we too are given the Holy Spirit to give us strength in which we do our work today. In all that we do, this gift will give us fortitude to find God's dwelling place within us and within our brothers and sisters. This dwelling place within our hearts will allow us to find God out in the world, in every flower and tree, in every river and sea, in every mountain and valley, and in absolutely every single person we meet. For it is not a gift that is only for ourselves. It is a gift to be shared, it is a gift to be exalted. For God in, is in all things, and it is our call to worship that fact. In our world today, it is vitally important that we search for ways to protect the earth, whether human, animal, or plant. God created and has given those things, those people, to us the Adams and the Eves of today. Therefore, we have the responsibility to care for all we encounter. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not a Sierra Club speech. 
This, however, is just the truth of the good news of the gospel. I have to say, as the two months loom out on the horizon for me to go away, I have actually been, my five weeks away in January were quite amazing, and I have to say, at times, I was quite lonely, and I was very much missing my family, and yet there are things to be done. And yet, in the rectory, I know where my family will spend most of their summer when they're not at various other things. And so in the rectory, I thought I would share just a special piece of who we as a family, and yet all the families that have been there in that house since even before it was a rectory. You see, in the backyard, there is a lawn sole pine tree. Now this tree does not stand straight. It is not tall like the three cedars out front. It is, you might say, crooked, though we don't like to refer to it or ourselves as crooked. And yet the tree was unable to grow straight because there, there were these three horrible sugar maples. We took care of them, we cut them down. However, it was crowded by those larger trees and over the years it twisted, it turned, and it grew trying to reach the sun. And today, that tree, which is, I'm told, somewhere between 75 and 90 years old, it's there. It survives. It shares, and it symbolizes home. For under this tree are eight bird feeders. Under the roots in one side is the burrow for a bunny. Within his branches, much like the mustard seed, are a multitude of birds roosting many evenings. Along with squirrels and chipmunks, it is a place where God is present. God's kingdom is like a tree that birds and critters can shelter within. Now, my friends, we are like that tree. We are not perfect. We can be a little bit crooked, and yet we are gods. We are given the gift of life, that divine spark within each one of us to share it in our time on this earth. So the question is, who is God for you? And where does he dwell? In the words of the Irish poet William Butler Yeats, Beloved, gaze in thine own heart. The holy tree is growing there. Amen.